Our weekly visit with Ness and hockey analyst Andy Brickley is brought to you by Norfolk Power Equipment and Kubota Tractor. Visit Norfolk Power today to enjoy money-saving year-end Kubota deal days. Check out NorfolkPower.com for more and buy McGee Chevrolet in Raynham, the first place and the last place you'll need to shop for a new or used Chevrolet. Ness and colleague Andy Brickley joins us on the AT&T Hotline. Good morning, Brick. Good morning, Dale. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Brick. How you doing? <clears throat> I'm doing pretty good. Uh, you know, I know it's a favorable schedule right now for the Bruins as far as the organization and the players, but uh, I guess it's favorable for us, too, because now we're around all week and we eliminate all the excuses for not getting my Christmas shopping. <laughs> Although I'm still working on mine, despite the fact I don't have those excuses either. Uh, Brick, it's a simple question, and many people have asked it over the last a couple of weeks as this run has been going forward. Are the Boston Bruins the best team in the National Hockey League? They certainly are right now. I don't think there's any question about it. You can uh, point to all the statistics and numbers you want, but just give it the eyeball test and watch this team play. I guess the simplest way to look at it, Dale, is uh, you know, as a collection of six defensemen, four lines, two goaltenders, the matchups that the Bruins get because of that depth and balance makes them the better team on most nights. And when you have that believability because you're Stanley Cup champions, which was really the only element missing, I thought, from a pretty confident team over the last couple of years, despite some uh, serious playoff dramatic defeats, that once they became champions, uh, that learning to win was embedded in them. And that's how they play now. And if you combine those elements, yeah, they are the best team in the NHL as we speak. That being the case, what as you reflect back on the start, what what did it all mean? What was that all about? They couldn't get the emotional needle to where it needed to be. And I think people were well aware of that within the organization, players included, that that was going to be the toughest task. I think you saw the younger players not have a problem with it as much as the older players, the established players, the guys that maybe had not won a Stanley Cup, now were finally champions, to understand where they needed to be emotionally game in and game out, and to have to do it just a couple of months after doing it to the middle of June and try to do it in October was more difficult than anybody realized, myself included. I didn't expect them to start 3-7. and seven. Uh, I thought at worst-case scenario, maybe a 500 mm-hmm. team through the first four or five weeks of the, of the season, which would have been fine with me. Uh, but I got a little concerned at 3-7. and seven. And uh, when I heard players like a Tim Thomas and a Milan Lucci say, you know, we're not that far off, you look at the game tape, and you break it down, and you say, maybe they're right. What's missing? And it was that emotion, that, that physical engagement that comes with the emotion of being involved in a game was the only thing that was lacking, and they found it. Rick, if I, think, I think if we go back to when uh, Tyler Sagan was named the number one star in the NHL for the week, if we go from that point until now, uh, there's been a slippage in the play of Tyler Sagan, and, and it actually even happened prior to the one-game benching in Winnipeg. We've seen some signs of him coming out of it here the last couple of nights. What do you think has been the the item missing from Tyler Sagan's game here over really the last month? Well, first, I think, Dale, you have to take a look at what other teams are doing, taking note of what Tyler Sagan was doing early in the season, and they make adjustments. Uh, they game plan for a guy with that kind of speed and skill set. Uh, now he needs to make an adjustment, and the adjustment means he needs to compete a little bit harder and find other things to do on the ice. Uh, you watch a guy like Steven Stamkos and listen to what he said when he went from being a pretty good rookie to a dominant player in a pretty rapid ascension. Uh, he needed to learn how to do other things on the ice, how to get open better, uh, how to find other teams' weaknesses. So it's all about adjustments, but it just comes down to uh, 
compete fact or a battle or whatever you want to call it, uh, put any put any title on it. That's where Tyler has to make his biggest adjustment. Uh, if teams give him time and space, he's going to hurt you. Even in that Philly game, you know they were the the Bruins weren't thrilled with the way he was playing. Yet he ends up with a goal and assist. I mean, he has that kind of impact as far as the scoreboard's concerned. So. Uh, I think if he makes the necessary adjustments on how to compete, how to win more battles, I thought we saw more of it in the Montreal game, which tells you that uh, he's getting the message. How consistently is he going to get it? And the only way that you can continue to hammer it home is to uh, make him earn his ice time. Where is Tuka Rask going to be in two or three years, in your opinion? Wow. Uh, it's hard to imagine that a guy like Tim Thomas, we had, we had a difficult time saying that there's no way he could have a similar season uh, or even a better season than he did a year ago. And, and look at him. I mean, arguably he's better this year than he was last year. That being said, where's Tim Thomas going to be in two years? will have a definite impact on where Tuka Rask is. In your opinion, can Tuka Rask continue to uh, uh, correctly and politely accept the backup role that he's done at this point? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think he's uh, got the perfect temperament for it. Uh, he wants the number one job. He wants to make life difficult for the Bruins on deciding on who to play. I mean, the ideal situation, fellas, is that Timmy goes from 55 games a year as his contract wears down and as he gets into his 40s down to that 40, 30, and the roles become reversed, and now Tuca takes the throne and becomes the number one goaltender, and he's playing the 55 to 60 a year and is at the top of the league in every statistical category, a guy that you lean on night in and night out. That is the ideal situation, and I think that is the hope of what's going to happen between these two goalies. What current Bruin, in your opinion, does more unnoticed things to benefit of the team that, that we should know more about? <laughs> uh, well, that's a difficult one, Bob, because we see them day in and day out, and we notice everything that they do. Uh, but from the sophistication you know, we, standpoint of little, little, the, the so-called little things that the average fan, such as myself, would never know. Well, you know, we like to trumpet Patrice Bergeron's game. You know, we feel that he's the best three-zone player, three-zone forward that they have. He does so many little things that don't necessarily end up on the scoreboard. I think the best thing to do when you try to answer that question is look at the guys that play the most minutes, and generally those are your top players, but why are they the top players? Mm-hmm. And I know you guys were talking earlier about uh, – how well the Bruins can score goals and have scored goals, yet they don't have anybody in the top 30. So that tells you that they get the job done as a team, and just about every player does things that go unnoticed. But I think the poster child for that would be a guy like Bergeron. I'm, uh, I'm curious. Assuming some semblance of health, and I know every team is going to lose players for varying amounts of time. Uh, the Bruins have already lost some guys for varying amounts of time. But assuming some semblance of health, if you're Peter Shirelli, do you need to add anything at the trading deadline? Yes, yes, you do. Uh, you have to expect injuries, Dale. You have to. It happens uh, across the board, and especially at playoff time. Uh, and even though we, we rave about the depth and balance of this Bruins team, uh, outside of their top six right now, their seventh defenseman is Stephen Camper. And Stephen's going to be a good player. He's going to be a real good player. But he needs to play, whether it's at Providence or he needs to get some more games in at the NHL level. And when he plays, if there's a left-shooting defenseman out now, somebody's forced to play the offside as a right shooter. And I don't think the Bruins are entirely comfortable with that scenario. Uh, beyond Stephen Kiffer in the depth chart, not good enough right now. The guys that are next on uh, on the list to step in and play, they just don't have the quality of what they need on the blue line. So I think that's an area that they have to be concerned with because you have to. 
as much as you don't want to. You have to expect guys to go down. I'm also curious as I as I look at this team going forward and and how I think they continue to play about the edge, the physical edge that they play on. Uh, they are one of the most physical teams, if not the most physical team in the NHL, and yet they play on that edge. Marshawn had a slew foot penalty that I thought was a, a potential suspendable offense. Milan Lucic was suspended for a game by Brendan Shanahan for his boarding penalty against the Flyers. Does this team know where the line is and know how to stay on the right side of it most of the time? I, I really think they do, Dale. In fact, that uh, you know, if you break games down and you see the number of hits and the confrontations that they get involved in, their ability to walk that line and stay out of the areas where you're going to get hurt by the league, I think, is tremendous. Uh, that's all about decision-making. It's all about understanding what the league is trying to do to change the culture and what's allowed and what's not allowed. And, and by the way, I think the league's doing a terrific job of educating these players and, and the way they're going about it, using communication, uh, and try to be as consistent as possible. You're never going to please everybody. I know the whole Lucic and Brian Miller was, uh, was one of discussion and controversy, but I think the Bruins are real good at it. I think it's one of their strengths that really isn't talked about a whole lot is just how good they are at playing within the rules and still being that heavy, physical, intimidating team. You know, I, I, I mentioned last week when I saw episode one of HBO's mm-hmm. 24-7, uh, Rangers, Flyers. If you're a hockey fan, it just you, you can't see it enough. And I mentioned over the weekend, I can't wait, wait for this week's edition mm-hmm. because the Bruins-Flyers game from Saturday will be oh, a well, focal right. point of, of tonight. Uh, I, I can't wait to hear what the Flyers have to say <laughs> all mic'd up about the Bruins game on Saturday because they got their heads handed to them. You know, it's funny, guys. Uh, you know, before the game, I got a chance to visit with a number of, of former flies. Uh, my first organization, so I had a best interest in being there, being there early. But you know, talking to Jonesy, who does the same job as I do with uh, with the Flyers television, and he was expressing to me, he said, "Flyers have no chance today." And I was saying, "What are you talking about? Just because Pronger and Giroux wrote, I, you guys have just won you know X amount of games in a row. You still know how to win." And, He's like, no, no, the, the Bruins will come in here and intimidate this team. They really will. They'll, they'll just exercise their will, and then Philly will just try to get a little dirty in order to save face. And, I mean, he nailed it. And I couldn't believe I was hearing that from a team that uh, is supposed to be tops in the East, and certainly that was a tops in the East conference game. And, and uh, you know, he follows his team on a regular basis, so you have to put trust in what he's saying. But I certainly didn't expect it, but that's exactly what we got. What does your gut tell you about Sidney Crosby's future? Wow. Uh, Bob, I've missed the ball on this. I thought he would be back well before the almost calendar year that he missed. And then when he came back, first game against the Islanders, I expected big things from him because he loves the stage. And he delivered, Mm -hmm. and I thought he was well out of the woods. And uh, I'm a little disappointed that he... He called out David Krejci for an elbow mm. as part of uh, his recurring symptoms or why he's back on the shelf. Uh, it was more the hit by Kunitz at center ice than anything David Krejci did. But that being said, uh, I can't get my hands around the uniqueness of all these concussions and the lingering symptoms. You know, when you see a hit like Cook on Survive, okay, I can see that. I mean, that is a nasty mm-hmm. predatorial-type yes. hit with right. major contact. But I look at the hits that Crosby has suffered, and for him to be out this long, I, I just don't have the, the proper sensitivity to what that player is dealing with because my expectation from experience is he should be back playing. Mm. Well, that having been said, Brick, 
why are we then surprised as hockey fans that Nathan Horton isn't Nathan Horton yet, considering the concussion he suffered at the hands of Aaron Rome in the in the Stanley Cup Finals and the, the length of time it took Patrice Bergeron to come back from his major concussion issue. Why would hockey fans be surprised that Nathan Horton doesn't look right yet? Well, I think Nathan's a tougher guy to read, Dale. His, his career has been plagued with inconsistency. You know, you watch him and he can be a dominant player, score goals and punches and score huge goals like he did before he got hurt in the playoffs. But then he'll go through, I mean, look at what he did last year. He went through stretches where he had, you know, one goal in 12 games or, you know, uh, uh, is he doing the other things? Is he is he uh, reading the plays? Is he back-checking? Is he fitting into the system? Is he taking his role and trying to be the best that he can be at it in order to be on the best team in hockey? Those are the things I look for in Nathan Horton. Uh, does he look as comfortable as he does when he's red hot? No, but I think it's a little vague because you're just a little unsure. If it was a player that you knew what you are going to get on a night-in, night-out basis and he looked fuzzy, then I'd agree with you. But I'm not quite sure if that's, if that's what's going on with Nathan. Rick, it's always fun to talk hockey with you. I'll see you at the rink on Friday. All right, Dale. Good Take to care, talk Brick. to you guys. Happy holidays. See you, Brick. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you as well. Andy Brickley, uh, the superb color analyst for Bruins Hockey on Nesson. Uh, I saw a release. I think I saw it this morning. Uh, the ratings for the game telecast this year on Nesson are up 85% from where they were a year ago. It's all because of you, Dale. <laughs> I don't, I'm not involved with the game <laughs> telecast. The game 85% telecast is up the game. 85% from where it was wow. a year ago. What can I say? Congratulations. <laughs> they, uh, all right, it's Bill Jaffe in between periods. They, they like I said the game now. I mean, you want to talk pregame and postgame? We'll do that later, Chuck. <laughs>